0: If you want to get rid of all the ads, just choose the David McWilliams Plus option on Apple Podcasts, and you'll hear us without any clutter, or noise, or ads. Lovely, John. Beautiful.
1: Millions of people
2: have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right.
0: The economy, you have to understand human nature.
3: This podcast is powered by ACAST.
0: How are you doing there? It is podcast time, and it is a podcast that is going to be get to the pitch of the argument. It's going to be all about banks, banking crisis. Are we facing a new 2008? The one thing you know about banking crises is that everybody lies. That's the most important thing, that when you hear regulators, politicians, bankers talking about, don't worry, we're well capitalised, you know mm-hmm. that these things are rarely true. So you have to be incredibly alert to what's going on.
3: It's not even a crisis that they're lying. It's, I feel like they're lying constantly. Well, it's just it's showing up.
0: The, word, the worst thing is about them, it's not that they're lying, John. They don't know. Now, that is... What 2008 revealed to us that the regulators didn't know what's going on, Mm. the central bankers didn't know what's going on, the investment bankers didn't know what's going on, the commercial bankers didn't know what was going on, all of which led to this total and utter almost bonfire of the vanities within the banking system. Yeah, And it led to an extraordinary collapse. But this time around, I'm seeing the same sort of messages coming out.
3: Okay, well, let me ask you this. Like, a couple of weeks ago, we did a really nice pod on SVB.
0: Yes, Silicon Silicon Valley Valley Bank. Bank. yeah,
3: And we were talking about the ins and outs of that. And the impression I had was that was a kind of a one-off. Although it could have been a canary in the coal mine. As it turns out, it very much was a canary in the coal mine. Yeah, And this has spread, and now there's all sorts of other stuff, Credit Suisse and Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank, which, by the way, my understanding was that they were supposed to be, over the last while, going through a restructuring process that was going to make them a stronger, more reliable bank and all the rest. But that seems to be... What's going on? It just
0: seems to be falling apart. This week we're going to go and talk to former bank regulator of the United States, Bill Black, old friend, friend of the show, Friend of Kill Economics, person I've known for a long time. I'm going to give you two things. The first thing to appreciate, and this is crucial, is that the easiest way to rob a bank is to run it. Yeah. Banks go bad from the inside out, and it is management of banks that rob them, not the depositors, not the shareholders. Not the clients. Yeah. It's
3: not the, the man. With, with
0: swag not the fellas, them. yeah. So in the old days if you ask a kid, paint me a picture of a bank robber, right? Yeah. What the kid would do is you know, this fellow with a this fella with a balaclava jumping over the wall late at yeah. night with a bag of swag, right? <laughs> That's a bank robber in the mind of a child. Yeah. The bank robber now wears Prada. Yeah. Or ill-fitting if he's Irish Hugo Boss suits. <laughs> but it's management that destroy banks. And that's something to appreciate. Why? Because management's incentive structure, the corporate world, our friends in the West Lower and in Croke Park, because they're all over it like a rash too. It's not just the rugby lads. Yeah, yeah. The Cusack stand. Cusack okay, stand, Okay, yeah. right? Same idea. The corporate box at Croker is up to its neck in this carry-on as well. But that's the first thing, that management destroy banks because the incentive structure at the core of the bank is to overlend. Mm. Because banks make money by lending, right? And therefore, if your bonus and if your pay is tied to profitability, what you will do is you will over lend because the profit will always go up if you're lending, even if the quality of the lending is going down. Yes, yeah, so yeah, that's, yeah, the, yeah. that's the that's yeah. the dilemma. That's the yeah. first one. number one. Second dilemma is banks finance, they borrow short term and lend long term. So they have what's called a duration risk, right? That basically if long-term interest rates rise, right, the price of the bond that they bought falls. And this is where we're at now, right? Right. And, and this is
3: this is what we were you were explaining the other day about the inverted yield curve. The
0: inverted yield curve. Yeah. And and gotcha. people who want to hear about that, it's a couple of podcasts ago. And then the third thing is I'm going to give you a quote from Hemingway, right? Right. Yes. So you know, obviously, Hemingway, Ernest Hemingway, kind of he-man, macho, always, you know. Had a great mojito. Lovely, heavy drinking, yeah. catching sharks, all that sort of, big, yeah. kind of macho writer. Okay? Old man to see and all that. All of- that malarkey. But he was asked how he went bankrupt. And he said, first, very slowly, and then very quickly. Now, mm. I'm going to posit that the opposite's happening here. How these banks are going bankrupt is the following. First, very quickly. So a couple of Silicon Valley banks and these sort of banks, right? Yeah. And then systemically, very slowly. So we've okay. all got a long tail is going on now, right? Mm. And this is different to 2008. This is my own perception of what is going on. Yeah, yeah. After, You're walking have to ex- done, after walking down Leary Pier and thinking about these things, John, right? You're have to explain this. So today. it's first very quickly. Mm. So Credit Suisse, Deutsche, the ones you mentioned, yeah. right? Certain things blow up very, very quickly. The Silicon Valley Bank being the great example, right? Yeah. But then very slowly, as it becomes gradually apparent that all the banks are playing the same game and have been doing for some time. They start looking the Fed, under the hood. And- the Fed will go in and try to slow things down. They'll change this, that, and the other. But ultimately, we're in a slow crisis. Right. And a slow crisis, you can argue, is worse than a quick crisis. Because in a way, a quick crisis basically says, OK, this is all broken. We can fix this. A slow crisis means that you're constantly, constantly fighting recurring what you might regard little fires everywhere. Mm, you know? Yes, yeah, And yeah. that, I think, is where we're going. And that's a hugely significant shift from the economics of the last 10 years. That's the key. So the economy of the last 10 years has been largely very low interest rates, yeah. credit-driven, banks are fine, well capitalized. No problem. Now, what we realize is we're going into another era of fragile banking systems all around the world. And that I think is a huge change and it's something we have to mark, and we're going to mark it today, John. Where is this going to lead, though? Well, last week we talked about the dilemma that the conundrum mm. that the central banks faced. So central banks have a conundrum. One is one of their objectives is low inflation, their other objective is financial stability. But if they want to get inflation low, what they're going to have to do is increase interest rates. But if they increase interest rates, they're going to affect the long end of the curve. They're going to batter the long end of the curve. And the banks that have lent out very, very long and have lent to governments in particular, and the bond market in particular, they will end up going bust. So the central banks have a choice. Do you let inflation rip through the system and forever be remembered as the central banker who failed in the main mandate? Or do you reduce interest rates now and try to save the banking system? And it's the wisdom of Solomon, which is not something that I've ever really ascribed to bankers before, John, but that's what they need. And that's where we are. So let's go. The United States, Christ. let's okay. go to the United States and think talk to Bill Black, former regular. Now, Bill will get into the weeds, yeah. This will be granular, it'll be detailed, so bear with us. But this is giving you a view of the entrails. It's like what Bismarck said about making sausages, John.
3: Yeah, you know, yes.
0: he said he was asked about parliamentary democracy, and he says it's like making sausages, just enjoy the taste and forget what goes into them, mm-hmm. right. So they say, we're going into the sausage maker of the banking system now with Bill Black and we'll come out the far end and we'll try and feel a little up,
3: dodgy. At feel end. a little bit
0: dodgy in your <laughs> net. Okay, let's go to the States and talk to Bill. Now, I suspect one of the, an old friend of Kilkenomics, an old mate of myself, is Professor Bill Black, a man who, at much personal risk, took on the banking system and the savings and loans crisis in the United States, was bank regulator in the United States, and I can't think of anybody better to talk to about the present crisis in the global banking system than Bill Black. Bill, how are you? Good to see you. I'm good. Great. Now, tell me, tell me, what's your sense of what's going on across the United States and the European banking sector? Right. So
1: the savings and loan debacle uh, was uh, in the beginning an interest rate crisis and it's the last uh, really major interest rate crisis uh, that has shown up uh, as causing potential systemic uh, problems uh, so people have forgotten that interest rate risk is a real thing and a killer thing and so because it's attractive to take interest rate risk when you're an ex- bank executive They have taken extraordinary interest rate risk, and the regulators globally have been asleep on this, thinking in terms of,
0: well, it's just paper losses, right? Bill, just explain what interest rate risk is, exactly how it happens, what it means, and then when interest rates change, what it does to that position. Okay, so this is the part
1: that throws people. We're used to thinking, oh, interest rates go up. You know, I have this debt instrument that must be good for me. But if your instrument is a fixed rate yep. instrument, and almost all of them are, then it's very, very bad for you because what it means is you are taking the same credit risk and you only got, say, 2% for taking that credit risk. But now that same bond with that same credit risk. The market has changed because interest rates have gone up and say they're 4%. Well, now your bond, it's actually, the math is a little complicated. It depends on a bunch of things. But as a first approximation, the value of your bond is half what it was. Yeah. So you go from two to four. Yeah. Okay. Not as bad, but in the ballpark. Right. So if you had a $10,000 bond as a first approximation, it's only worth 5,000 bucks. In terms of market value. And that's what interest rate is usually expressed. You can take interest rate in both directions, but usually people take it in the direction where they win their bet if interest rates fall and they lose their bet as interest rates rise. And what we've seen is interest rates have risen globally and are expected to keep rising globally.
0: Now, let's go onto the that's specific of what is happening in many american banks at the moment okay there's also this thing in american banks the very large exposure particularly the regional banks bill as well to commercial real estate that might be the next phase because the only thing i've learned over the years of watching these crises is they kind of move they kind of shunt from asset to asset to asset to asset what's what you thinking there
1: So, the phrase that the generic phrase for this is that bankers chase yield. Okay. Yield is higher interest rate. Well, how can you get higher interest rate? You can take more interest rate risk. That's what we first described, but you could take more credit risk. And that's what you just described. And commercial real estate, in particular in the United States, but not unique to the United States, is an area where people take enormous risk. Think Japan, right? Uh, you want the single easiest explanation. Japan went more heavily into commercial real estate than any nation in the history of the world. And it ain't a lost decade anymore. It's more like three lost decades. So yes, commercial real estate is often the next shoe to drop.
0: So Bill, you know, like you've been doing this at the Face, and you and I've talked for many, many years about this. What is your sense, you're, like, I'm, I'm, it's a very strange, but your feeling now of what is likely to happen in the global banking system. You see Deutsche Bank, it's always very worrying when you pick up the paper and the prime minister or the chancellor of a country is saying, there's no problem here. That's like, oh shit. Okay, that's really worrying, right? We also know the German banks have been, for some bizarre reason, always there. They're always there when there's a mess, right? We have the Credit Suisse mess. People say it's a management issue. But again, we're back to the same idea. We've had many years of low interest rates, some years of mega low interest rates. That game has changed. Something has to break. What's your sense? Well, it's already broken,
1: uh, right, Uh, in uh, many ways. Uh, The markets uh, for finance are already up in arms and we've been talking banking so far but uh, insurance the unrealized interest rate risk losses are well over 200 billion dollars in banking there uh, appear to be well over 600 billion dollars right so we have failed to take interest rate risk seriously okay and i uh, went and looked at two things uh in the u.s context but they're not unique to the united states that really expressed this. So one, out of the great financial crisis and all that disaster, what was the, the great idea of economists? And the great idea of economists was create a body of dominated by economists that will look at future risks and so we won't be behind the game. We'll be right up there up front. and that in the. US context, the acronym is FsOC. Okay. Uh, th- this is the financial... It sounds, like uh, a, it
0: sounds like a bunch of football hooligans here, but we'll take it from that. The Gaff <laughs> Troop, do you remember them?
1: <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. Time to fall <laughs> heads. <laughs> uh, so this is Financial Stability Oversight Council, right? Okay. And it's a particularly American bureaucratic nightmare. But the, the essence of it was we're going to get economists. They're going to focus on systemic risk, the really big things that can blow up the system. They're going to look forward in time. And we're going to take actions so we don't have a disaster, right? Good stuff. 2014 15, FSOC makes a report to Congress on interest rate risk. Hey, good stuff, right? So they're in the game. They're in the game, except that this is what they say. And I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's almost a direct quotation. One, banks should continue to monitor and manage interest rate risk. Okay. Two, Regulators should continue to monitor and regulate interest rate risk. Okay, great. (laughs) We put the economists in charge and they said, you should do things right. (laughs) Okay, but and they create this long report because it's America and because (laughs) it's modern America, there are 75 PowerPoint slides as exhibits to this report. And of those 75, None of them are the two slides you need. The first slide, how big is the loss? Yeah. If not recognized for accounting purposes due to interest rate risk. The second chart, if interest rates go up by 200 basis points, 400 basis points, 600 basis points, what gives? What will the loss then be? (laughs) Right? Those are the two charts you need. Those are the two charts you don't get. And instead, you get word salad, right? Just, we don't need economists to tell us those kinds of things. So while interest rate risk went up and it went up dramatically, you got nothing. Do you hear any reports from Janet Yellen from the Fed going, oh my God, stop this. This is crazy. Okay, so back to risk, super important thing. That the regulators have forgotten and the bankers forget because it's in their interest to forget it. Risk ain't risk, right? So, credit risk, if you take it prudently through proper underwriting, the expected value is positive. That's why banking can be profitable. Yeah. Right. Operational risk, which is basically when you fuck up, right? Mm -hmm. That's negative. (laughs) So, you want to, Cost effectively minimize operational risk, other risk, interest risk, prepayment risk, basis risk, things like that. The expected value is zip zero. This is not how you profitably make money. You can gamble on these things, but the expected value is zero, which is to say, socially, we don't want banks doing that. Yeah. I mean, and if there's deposit insurance in particular, we, shouldn't ever allow them to take substantial interest rate risk. And yet, that's exactly what the last 10 years, certainly five years, has been all about. And before that, in the savings and loan crisis, that's exactly what thrifts were doing. They were taking very large amounts of interest rate risk. You know, that's the regime I inherited when I became a regulator. And it caused, in the U.S. context, at peak, $150 billion dollars this is you know back in 1979. When issue, $150 you know, billion it was, dollars was $150 exactly.
0: billion, dollars. exactly.
1: Exactly, uh, type of thing. Okay, flash forward. I told you FSOC 2014, 2015, what it's doing. Well, it hasn't done anything since then. All right. But the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis on February 9th, 2023, In other words, just before the hammer came down in the US context, put out a thing on interest rate risk by its top supervisor, right? And the thing says, you know, you should work prudently. That's That's a very helpful thing. It said that very large losses were accumulating that weren't recognized, and it didn't give a number for them. And it didn't give what happens if... 200 basis points, 400, and you recall the Fed is the friggin' Fed. The Fed knew it was going to raise interest rates, and it knew it was going to raise them a lot, 150. And it knew it was going to raise them a lot
0: in a banking system which has been overburdened by unbelievable interest rate risk. So they knew this was going to happen. So they knew they have
1: absolutely no excuse. And what did they repeat in this? Well. Right now, they're paper losses. Okay, so I tell people when I teach public finance, if your boss says, oh, it's only a paper loss, get out your resume and leave immediately because he's a frigging moron and he's going to lead to a disaster (laughs) and you don't want to go down with this idiot ship. It is a clown car, right? So we have the... Federal Reserve repeating the mantra of the worst bankers in history. Oh, it's only a paper loss. It's like, oh, it's only a paper cut. It's only a flesh wound. It's only the- a flesh wound <laughs> yeah, type of thing. And it gets better because not only does he do that, but he says, oh, by the way, lots of banks, because they're taking these interest rate risks as a deliberate gamble, are growing. They're not just taking interest rate risk. They're growing and taking interest rate risk. Sounds like the savings and loan crisis again. And they're borrowing from the federal home loan banks. And I won't go through their special creature that were, again, savings and loan. Their or- origins were in the savings and loan crisis. right? And they say, oh, now what you need to worry about is the federal home loan banks are forbidden by regulation from lending to banks that are market value insolvent. Well, that's kind of helpful. No, no, no. <laughs> Why is he saying that? Because... He's saying that t- to warn you that you should get out of borrowing from their rival, the Federal Home Loan Bank, and instead borrow from the Fed. Wow. So you're Because the Fed won't will continue to lend and it won't go bust. even when you're insolvent and the FED has unlimited money okay so, so, so it's a really he's actually gets into his competitive thing instead of being a regulator he's
0: actually yeah he's actually saying take money from, take money from me don't take it from him he's shilling for the commercial side of the federal okay Reserve so, Banks. so bill what you're painting the picture of is a potential mess unfolding is it like everybody here, and you know what happened here, but everyone around the world is saying, is this 2008? Are we going oh, no. back into something like this? This is not potential
1: energy. This is real energy if we do the physics, right? This this, this sucker has a great height of insolvency and it's frigging falling uh, type of thing. So, again, there are real losses. They're not paper yeah. losses yeah, 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 in yeah. market value. They're in the order of 600 billion-ish. That is a huge portion, which is to say more than (laughs) Uh 1.0 of the capital of a whole bunch of places, which is to say a bunch of them are insolvent. And finally, people figured out, and of course, they figured it out first, and they're not like early, (laughs) you know, they're, they're really late, they're going, um... America used to be unique in having almost all deposits were covered by insurance, but now we got these big, quote unquote, regional banks, you know, like $240 (laughs) we call a regional bank, that have 60, 70% of their deposits are uninsured. They're way past the insurance limit. What are those folks going to do? Well, they're going to stage they're going to panic. a run. They're going well, to panic. It's not a panic. It's not a panic. No, it's a logical, right? it's a logical step. It's a perfectly logical, logical yeah, step. Yeah. But it looks like says, a panic from the outside. Right. But if I get out first, I get paid 100 cents on the dollar. And if I don't, then i got to hope we've got enough political oomph to get the FDIC to pay depositors way past the insurance limit, which is 250,000 so- bucks. In the U.S. context. But these are people that have- Millions and millions and millions. Million yeah. Yeah, 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 in deposits, right? Yeah. Now, remember, what's the biggest run in financial history? You tell me. The money market mutual funds. There was a $400 billion run on the money market mutual funds in the United States when Lehman failed. 400 billion. billion. And the first major money market mutual fund Failed. It was bailed out, but it failed by noon of when Lehman Brothers failed. That's how quickly it happened. So the 16th of September, 2008, noon. There was a $12 billion run in four hours. Okay. So these things right. happen Jeez. very, very quickly. Right. So it's not just modern telecommunications. Yeah. It's modern telecommunications plus. It's the treasurer of a major corporation. That's that has actually 600 million. Yeah. And yeah, he knows yeah. how to hit the three button keystroke that gets that his money out of there. All
0: 600 in literally seconds. So, Bill, the picture you're painting is a system on the precipice, an entire system on the precipice. But I'm not too sure anyone are not too sure. The vast, vast majority of people listen to the show, watching the markets, thinking about their money, their own money is really aware of just how significant this moment is. Yeah. No, no, no. They are, in jargon, they are massively underpricing the risk. So how do you, at this stage, does the Fed then choose between the banking system, we're talking about the system, and inflation, and just go and cut rates now? What does it do? No.
1: Politically, it feels it can't do that, and reputationally. The you know the chairman of the Fed is not going to be seen as the
0: guy. Yeah, I know that, the guy who says don't worry about inflation. We're going to don't worry for- about
1: inflation. It'll be named the it'll be named the Powell inflation if yeah. he does that and and such. So there's no chance. Just like Bernanke was the economist historian of the Great Depression, there was no chance he was not going to do a massive bailout in those circumstances. So Powell did exactly what is everyone anticipated in America. He did the uh, quarter point. Yeah, uh, last week. So it was lower than some of the increases, but we're going to continue to hammer on inflation. And, and Powell, he, he, this is really, in the U.S. context, amazing. I mean, he is actually testifying that he wants to put millions of people into unemployment in the U.S. context. And you can imagine the reaction of a
0: number of people to that kind of testimony. How does does someone like Biden, listening to that sort of testimony, looking at an election coming up, looking at an election year, doing quite well, doing well on many, many other metrics, what does he think? What does the White House think? So first, this is the enormous
1: difference between the political parties. So what President Clinton, President Obama, and President Biden, have in common is a they're all Democrats and B they all reappointed the Republican appointed head of the Fed.
0: Interesting. Clinton did it twice. Yeah, Green, Republicans never. Yeah, yeah, Republicans
1: yeah. never do that. They're never <laughs> if so you're generous. Appointed by a Democrat, you're gone. <laughs> you know, as soon as your term ends as Fed chairman. So, I don't know if people recall, but seven years ago. Trump was going nuts, demanding that Powell massively cut interest rates. And he was doing it in a way that in U.S. context, it you know, it's not done, it's not proper type thing, but it was Trump. You know, something like yeah. that was going to matter uh, type of thing. So he, you know, he threatened to remove Powell. He threatened to investigate him. He threatened to basically have Treasury takeover rate setting. And such, and Powell delivered, you know, ever lower interest rates, and so Trump uh, left him in power. Why, in God's name, Biden would leave Powell, you know, reappoint
0: him uh, is what is it? I, I have no words. Isn't it? You know, we, we this is another discussion that we could go into, but we won't for now. It's it's that idea that the Democrats, a bit like the Labour Party in England, still don't kind of trust themselves with finance and still lean into the Republican view because they think Wall Street's going to wake up one day and say, oh my God, there's a Democrat in the White House and they don't like us. I mean, I think that's, that's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a pathological relationship between the Democrats and Wall Street, which we won't go into, but you see it the same in New Labour in the UK. Can I just conclude here, Bill, because lots of people listening to this will be unfamiliar of the granular nature of this discussion okay, and how treasurer's finance and risk management and interest rate spreads and duration and all these things we're talking about, okay. What is your sense of the next couple of months in the global banking system, as succinctly as you can put it?
1: So the the war will be exactly what you said. What will the central banks do on continuing to raise interest rates? If they continue to raise interest rates, then you're going to have, every three months, uh, a banking crisis somewhere in the Western world. Although places like Japan are not necessarily immune to this uh, either. And they're either going to get serious about interest rate risk, or they're going to go into a incredible bailout uh, procedure. But when they go into the bailout procedure, they have the Swiss, so Swiss, even though I know you want big picture, we have to go a little bit into the weeds and say, again, the economists had this great, bright idea after the great financial crisis. Let's create this intermediate security that's going to look like a bond, but if things go bad, we'll turn it into equity. Oh, this is the cocoa thing that the Swiss just turned on the other day. Right, and that's my point. The Swiss did what economists a under their theory should predict, but would never predict. Which is, well, screw that. <laughs> you know? We need less money from the state of Italy if we screw these cocoa folks. Yep. So, hey, guess what? We're going to screw the cocoa folks. Now that's a hundred and forty-five billion-ish. Yeah, it's, just, it's uh, a lot. Market. So that market is maybe toast. And that was the one that they were relying on to deal with, supposedly was going to provide the market discipline because they know they don't actually regulate and haven't regulated in their entire lives, right? So they've just removed one of their bulwarks against disaster, and it's shown how individual nation states will act. And so if the next nation state that in Europe in particular yep. that has this problem does something similar, that's all gone and people are going to realize all that capital, quote unquote capital, it's not really capital, it's you know weird debt, um, is gonna be withdrawn. And all these things that now are called, well, it's a well capital, Deutsche Bank is well capitalized and profitable, will be
0: insolvent and unprofitable. Bill Black, we will leave it there. I'm going to discuss this at length with John after this, but it does seem to me that we're at a complete tipping point. And as you said, the Fed knew this tipping point was coming. There is a potential for a massive fiscal bailout, but I'm not too sure Joe Punter has the political stomach to be bailing out banks yet again. Well, Bill, pleasure to talk to you, and we will talk to you very soon. Thank you much.
3: There's a lot of stuff in there that, well, first of all, I found it all a little disturbing. <laughs> I found it, it strikes me that banks seem to be run by fucking morons.
0: There certainly is a high percentage of, you know, our Dunning-Kruger. That yes. truly incompetent yes. overestimate their competence. There is an element of that there. Listen, let's come back to this just after this. Grant. Oh.
2: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
3: Just to start off, Mac, Bill was talking there about the cocoa thing. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah, Just explain to me because I I don't think I understand that.
0: So the way in which banks finance themselves is typically... The first thing is they take in deposits, right? Mm. And so you know you you turn up with your, in your case three hundred million quid, and you (laughs) deposit it there. (laughs) So that's the first way. The second way is they issue bonds, right? They issue IOUs, Mm. and those IOUs, then they 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 say we'll lend us money for ten years, and we'll give you a bond, and we'll pay you back over ten years. And here's the yield, and here's the rate of interest. The third thing is then what they call little other slivers of products, IOUs that they issue, Mm. right? So imagine an IOU. So a COCO is an IOU, right? There's a thing called a debt for equity swap, right? So basically what happens is when a company goes bankrupt, in the event of a bankruptcy, what tends typically to happen is, Equity, which are shareholders. And then, of course, the, sorry, the third way of which they raise money is equity, shareholders, right? Yeah, yeah. So in the event of a bankruptcy, the equity people get wiped out first. So they're seen as having the less secure lending to the bank. Okay. The depositors get protected. This is the deposit interest protection because depositors would be what you would call trust creditors. They are creditors who really trust you. And most depositors don't know that they're lending to banks. You know, and almost says when, yeah, our yeah, mo- yeah. when our mothers put money in the bank, they think it's there for safekeeping. Yes. They don't realize you're actually lending to a highly leveraged speculative organization. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Nobody tells anyone yeah, that. Yeah, right? putting into a secure box.
0: But if you buy shares, there's a sense that you appreciate this thing can go up and down. Yeah, and then there is this thing in bankruptcy where the owner of bonds also get paid first before owners of equity. But these cocos are what's called convertibles. So in the event of a bankruptcy, mm. this type of IOU gets paid before shareholding. That's okay. legally what's meant to be the case. Credit Suisse, Swiss authorities last week, decided to burn all the cocoa bondholders. Oh, right. right. Okay. And they said, you know what? We don't care about you because you're a little sliver of financing. It's about 165 billion worldwide, right? Which is right. a huge amount... In the context of overall banking. Right,
3: so $165 billion. But anyway, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, I hear and you.
0: What we've decided is you don't count, right? Right. Now, there's a variety of reasons why they did that. But, but you said but that's illegal. No, it will be challenged. So basically yeah. what you have is there, you've got lawyers, in the, in the event of bankruptcy, lawyers love bankruptcies because they always make money mm. and they always <laughs> challenge. But yeah. the other thing is, you know, when you go bankrupt, you've no money. So basically what happened between Credit Suisse and UBS, the bank I used to work for, mm. is a shotgun marriage. They went up the aisle, right? Yes. Basically, yeah. that's exactly what happened. Imagine it's a shotgun marriage, right? Yeah. So Credit Suisse is bust, it's humiliated, it's shamed, and UBS says, don't worry, I'll marry you, yeah. right? Yeah, I'll yeah. bring you up the aisle, right? In the old, old the honourable thing. I'll do the honourable thing. <laughs> thing. But you know what? I'll set the terms of this marriage. Yeah. And you see those fellas you owe money to? I don't give a sugar about them. I'm not recognize them yeah. so the fellows you owe money to will be shouting and roaring trying to get their money back but the shotgun marriage changes the way in which
3: yeah they're the, the cousins newest,
0: They're the cousins exactly they're the cousins over on the far side <laughs> drinking <laughs> bottles of bulmers We always worry about those cousins you know those those ones right <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah
3: exactly gotta watch out for them
0: yeah so so basically that's what he's talking about but the big context of what's bill talking about there is mm. there is now a new sheriff in town there is a new way of doing business and in the event of bankruptcies Lots of people who thought they were going to get paid back won't get paid back. So that's the first.
3: Thing. Right. Okay.
0: The second thing you're saying is that deep inside the entrails of the banking system, a bomb has gone off. And the reverberations of that bomb are going to be felt all around the system for a long, long time. And the Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank and the Bank of England and all these people are trying to deal with these little fires everywhere, Mm. but there's no overall strategy as to how they're going to put these things out. Yeah. So it seems to me that what Bill is concluding, and he really understands this world, is that we're going into this world where credit is much, much tighter, where access to money is much, much more difficult, right? Now, what that means is that lots and lots of companies that were basically buoyed up by easy money and easy credit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're going to go. For the last least, fifteen years, yeah, yeah, they're going to go bust. I mean, you look at Dublin's commercial property, right? Yeah, they're building offices that nobody wants everywhere. Yeah, and they only make sense if you've got zero interest rate finance. If you five percent finance, those they're going to go bust. There's no buyers for that stuff. Right,
3: right. Okay, so so, so but, that's
0: what he's talking about. It's like there's a lot in there's a contagion ongoing, and of course everyone's trying to pretend who has a vested interest. Oh, don't worry, it's going to be fine. So so this means
3: we're heading straight for a recession, a deep recession?
0: Well, what we're heading, we're heading to a banking crisis and a recurring banking crisis. And then the history of banking crises is that if those banking crises are limited to, let's say, commercial property and weird bits at the long end of the curve, they might not necessarily seep into the economy. But if, for example, house prices, which is another highly leveraged asset, were to get hammered. And why would house prices get hammered? Because what keeps house prices up is new buyers. And what keeps new buyers in the market is new credit. But if the credit stops flowing to new buyers, the new buyers stop coming into the pyramid scheme. Mm. And the new buyers stop and come into the pyramid scheme means prices tend to reverse.
3: And what about house loans are always the biggest uh, debt that people have. But there's also lots of other debt, given that the last... Fifteen years have been zero. The Des
0: Kelly carpet debt. Yes, exactly. And, and the home improvement loans and the, and car the cars loans.
3: and the holidays and the this. And All the that.
0: those. So there's loads of people who a, are going to be exposed to this. There's lots of people on the hook, and what Bill ordinary is, folk. ordinary people. Yeah, yeah. what Bill is saying is that we are now in the early stages of a rolling global banking crisis that might not like 2008 just erupt in some sort of Vesuvian explosion, Mm. right? But may well be much more like just constant tremors. And the problem with constant tremors, John, is they make people nervous all the time. And the problem with constant nerves in the economy, it means people won't invest, they won't spend, they'll be worried. And that's what tips the economy into recession.